Do you know that in the last 10 years, the United States government has spent more on disaster relief than all the money we spent in the prior 70? Friend, God is the one who can send these hurricanes. God is the one who can send these earthquakes. God is the one who can send the record rain that destroyed half the crops in the Midwest last year. Listen, we are in a royal mess as a nation. And we've turned our back on God. And do you know who caused it? God has brought these things upon us because we have disobeyed God. And there's no politician in Washington who can solve the problem. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, a daily walk through the Bible with Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're continuing our study of the book and prophet Haggai. Dr. Brogy has noted that the second shortest book of the Bible is divided into four messages. We saw that chapter one dealt with priorities and the first nine verses of chapter two, which Carl opened last time, dealt with discouragement. The Sermon of Haggai addresses the physical well-being, the economy, and the political realm of Haggai's day. And as we note today, we see that the prophet's message is still applicable in this day and age. Let's rejoin Dr. Brogy now as he continues his message on the enormity of God. We're told today that there are more stars just in this solar system than all the grains of sand on all the beaches in the world. Our God is a great God. But this solar system, our Earth is just a, a speck in this solar system, and this solar system is just a speck in God's universe. And Haggai wants to remind the people that God is over it all. He can shake this universe. He can do with it whatever He wants to do with it because He made it. And so in verse 6, he speaks about something that he's going to do in the future. But I believe it's even already begun. How do we know this is prophetic? Well, the New Testament tells us. And the book of Zechariah tells us. Remember the companion prophet. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, if you will. Hebrews chapter 12. The writer to the Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us some divine commentary on this verse. But remember now, these folks had not just Haggai to listen to, they had Zechariah, and he was preaching to them. And you can read the book of Zechariah that's going to talk about this great shaking that is going to come. But in Hebrews chapter 12, notice if you will, well, let's start in verse 25 so we get the context. He says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if those did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from Him who warns from heaven. And His voice shook the earth then. But now He has promised saying, and He quotes here, Haggai, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now he quotes Haggai 2.6. It's a little bit different because he's quoting the NIV of the day, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. 
But as your margin notes, it's the book of Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6. And God tells us here in Hebrews that I am going to shake everything that can possibly be shaken so that only those things that cannot be shaken are going to remain. There is a great shakedown that this universe is headed for. And the writer of the Hebrews tells us it is a literal, actual, physical shakedown as Zechariah the prophet tells us. Jesus remind us in Matthew 24 that He is going to shake the earth through earthquakes. He said nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He said in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. I did a little research on earthquakes. And history tells us that in the 14th century, the best recorded history that we have, there were 137 major earthquakes. In the 15th century, there was 174 major earthquakes. In the 16th century, there are 253 major earthquakes. All the way on up to the 20th century, where so far as of 1990, there have been 2,252 major earthquakes in the last 90 years. Now, Dr. Don Anderson, he's the most quoted seismologist in the world today, the director of Caltech Seismology Laboratory in Pasadena, said this, there is concrete evidence that the world may soon suffer a number of cataclysmic earthquakes. He points out, quote, that major earthquakes occur when the daily rotation of the world slows down. He said the Earth's rotation has been slowing down at one one hundred thousandth of a second daily. I've noticed that, haven't you? <laughs> Among other things, he tells us that this is helping to trigger the earthquakes and this is the reason we're seeing such a strong progression. That reminds me of a sign that I saw or that I heard about posted outside of a uh, Palm Springs, California public school classroom. It said, in the event of an earthquake, the Supreme Court's ruling against prayer in schools will be temporarily suspended. I like that. Now, I don't know anything about the rotation of the earth, and I don't claim to. I don't know anything about this thing slowing down, but Jesus said all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And when a woman goes into labor, the labor pains will increase with frequency and intensity, and that's what Jesus promised in relation to earthquakes. Now, when God gets ready to do something in the spiritual realm, he often signifies it in the physical realm. And in biblical history, he has done it through earthquakes. Earthquakes are God's alarm clocks. They're God's exclamation points to get our attention. Some of the greatest things God has ever done, he has accompanied with an earthquake. When God gave the Ten Commandments, there was a great earthquake, Exodus 19.18. When Jesus died on the cross at Calvary, there was a great earthquake, Matthew 27, 54. When Jesus rose from the, the, the dead, Matthew 28, 2 tells us there was a severe earthquake. And prior to the next greatest event in human history, one last time for God to get our attention, He is going to begin to shake the world and it's going to become more and more and more intense. Turn to Revelation chapter 6, if you will. The book of Revelation chapter 6. I hope 
by the grace of God to preach the book of Revelation one of these days. And uh, maybe it will happen in, in 95. But look at Revelation chapter 6. You still with me? All right, I can see my notes, so you listen, all right? <laughs> You're going to have to take it by faith. All right, Revelation 6. Notice verse 12. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And so he speaks here of this great shaking and earthquake. Look at Revelation chapter 8. This, by the way, is in the first half of the tribulation period. Revelation 8, notice verse 5. He says, And the angel took the censer, and he filled it with the fire of the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, and sounds, and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Look at Revelation chapter 11. God raises up two people who will be his last two prophets before the second coming of Christ. He, they're going to prophesy for three and a half years. They're going to be killed in the city of Jerusalem. The world is going to rejoice because it was these prophets who stopped the rain and everything else. And they're going to rejoice over their dead bodies, but God is going to bring them back to life. Look, if you will, verse 13. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Notice, if you will, verse 19. And the temple of God which is in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant appeared in His temple, and there were flashes of lightnings and sounds of peals of thunder, and an earthquake in great hailstorm. Notice, if you will, Revelation 16. Revelation 16. Look at verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of light and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake. We talk about the big one. Here's the biggest right here. Such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth, so great an earthquake was it, and so mighty, and the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Now when Jesus comes again, He told us at the end of the tribulation, Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened permanently, the moon will give no light, the stars in heaven will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the Son of Man shall appear in the sky. And when he comes and he plants his feet on the Mount of Olives, we're told, Zechariah chapter 14, he's going to take that mountain and split it in two with a great earthquake. Earthquakes are God's amen. They're God's way of trying to get our attention. And Haggai, go back to Haggai, reminds his people that our God is the God of the heavens. He is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He controls them, and one day He's going to consummate them. And He wants these discouraged people to know that that is the God whom we serve. And He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. But the second thing He wants us to see is that He is the Lord of the harvest. Notice verse 7. And I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. 
The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The reason for mentioning the physical universe in in verse 6 is to remind the people that the God who made the physical universe, who runs it, has everything in it at His disposal. Everything that is necessary. He is the Lord of the harvest. He controls the financial realm both positively and negatively. Remember what we read last week? Look at it again, chapter 1, verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? You guys, you've ignored the temple, but your houses are plush. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on your clothing, but no one is warm enough. He who earns, earn wages to put it into a purse with holes. Chapter 2, verse 17. Look at that. God says, He takes responsibility for this. I smote you in every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord of hosts. The people said it's not time. God got their attention. He says it is time. And when He said it was time, the people responded. And God wants to remind them that because they have placed themselves in a position of obedience, God is going to bless them. Now what God does with individuals, He does with nations. And the same truth is told us about other nations of the world. The same thing that happened to Israel, I believe, is happening to America today. America has been blessed of God in an unparalleled way. We have been the wealthiest nation in the history of human, the human race. There's been no other nation who has had the abundance that we have. But what have we done with it? We have forgotten God. The very thing that, that, that God blessed us with has become an object of worship. And so God, I believe, is sending economic problems to America. Do you have any idea what the national debt is? I was going to bring something here in a trillion to describe it, but I left it at home. Do you have an idea how fast crime is spiraling right now? I mean, do you know what it costs to incarcerate a man for one year? We have 1,100,000 people now in prison in the United States. Higher than any other Western country in the world. Do you know what that costs? And what's our solution? More prisons, longer sentences. Do you know what AIDS is costing this country? Do you realize how fast the welfare system is growing as the family breaks down? Do you know that in the last 10 years, the United States government has spent more on disaster relief than all the money we spent in the prior 70 Friend, God is the one who can send these hurricanes. God is the one who can send these earthquakes. God is the one who can send the record rain that destroyed half the crops in the Midwest last year. Listen, we are in a royal mess as a nation. And we've turned our back on God. And do you know who caused it? God has brought these things upon us because we have disobeyed God. And there's no politician in Washington who can solve the problem. The solution is for America to repent and to get right with God. And God is saying, consider your ways. 
But what God can do with a nation, He can do with an individual. God is so great, so powerful, He doesn't have to deal just with the mob. He can deal with you and I as individuals. We're a microcosm of this nation, Israel, that He describes here. Notice, if you will, verse 8. God says, He reminds them, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. You know, sometimes we get enamored with all the wealth of the world. But God reminds us in this verse that they're just using it. God owns it. It is His. And God will get His resources to His people to do His work when they prioritize God. Listen, God's work has never, ever, 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 ever been stopped because of a lack of resources. Never, never. The only reason God's work has ever been stopped is because of a lack of priority on the part of God's people or lack of faith to believe what God says about His principles of giving or lack of, uh, of sacrifice on behalf of the people of God. But it's not been due to a lack of resources. God owns it all. Now the same God who took that little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people is the God that we serve today. I believe God in His sovereignty is blessing this church. I think of a family in this church that God led to give a matching gift of $125,000. He gave them the resources to be able to do that. We had a lady who came here last year, this month, last year, from Arkansas. She sat in one service. She sensed God's work in this place. People coming to Christ. She was so excited. On Wednesday, she sent me a check for $35,000. She was excited. Who did that? God did that. God is able to open the windows of heavens and provide what we need to do His work. He can do it if we will be right with Him. Now I get excited about that. Turn to John chapter 21 for just a second. We find in John 21 a New Testament illustration of this Old Testament concept that, that Haggai the prophet is trying to teach us. Here in John 21... We read, if you notice, uh, go to uh, verse 2. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, we're coming with you. They went out and they got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. So here are these professional fishermen. I mean, they are out there all night long. Man, they're out there not with fishing poles. They're out there with drag nets. I've been to the Sea of Galilee and I've seen them early in the morning where they bring these drag nets in and they still bring in thousands of fish out of that place. It's incredible. But here they fished all night and they caught nothing. And Jesus asked them a question in verse 5. He said, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Applied answer, no. And so they answered him, no. Now Jesus knew that they hadn't caught anything. Jesus planned for them to catch nothing. I mean, these guys had their nets dragging all night and they didn't even get a sardine. Man, I've read, that, that was a miracle. Why? Because God didn't want them to catch anything. The God who controls the heavens and the universe, the Lord of the harvest, was in the control centers of those little fish and that fish heading towards that net. He said, go right. That fish heading towards that net. Go left. He wouldn't let those fish go into there. And then our sovereign God says in verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. 
They cast therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Now don't miss verse 7. That disciple therefore whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. They knew this was the God who had done it once before. When the nets were so full, they began to rip. And we need to recognize that the same God who brought the fish into those nets is the Lord of the harvest. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in the financial world, but I know God is in control. And I know that God's work is not going to be hindered, that God is going to do as a sovereign God what He wants to do as His people are right with Him. Now go back to Haggai. Don't miss what he says here as we come to the close of this sermon. He was reminding the people that when you get your priorities right, Sermon 1, God is going to bless you, Sermon 2. And if need be, God is going to turn the nations of the world upside down until the silver and the gold comes out of their pockets and you can go pick it up off the ground. Now listen, some of us, we get uptight about our jobs. But listen, if we prioritize God, He promises to meet our needs. He promises His reputation is at stake. You see, the question is not whether or not I'm going to get that job promotion. It's not an issue of what does my boss perceive of my work. The question you need to be asking is, does my work please God Almighty? Does my business that I own, does it honor the Lord? That's the question we need to ask. George Mueller was the head of an orphanage. And he was a man who believed he was in the Lord's work, and I believe he was too, and that God would always take care of him. Well, one day, their orphanage, as in numerous times, ran out of food. I mean, the cupboards were empty. He called all the kids together, 300 kids in this orphanage. All the tables were set, all the plates in front of them. And he asked one of the kids to say the blessing over the food. The boy said, what breakfast are you talking about? We know the cupboards are empty. So Mueller prayed. He said, Father, I thank You for the food that You will bless us with for the nourishment of our body in Christ's name. Amen. And as soon as he said amen, there's a knock on the door. There's a man there with three bread trucks. And he said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep all night long. I tossed and turned all night. This orphanage, I couldn't get it on my, off my mind. Mueller said, bring it in. The tables are set. The kids are waiting. <laughs> Friend, our God is a sovereign God. He runs this universe. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. There's no bankruptcy in heaven. There's no recession in heaven. There's no inflation in heaven. There's no drought in heaven. God says, I am going to shake the nations because He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord Sabaoth. He is our great God. And Haggai wants us to know He is the Lord of the heavens. He is the Lord of the harvest, but He is also the Lord of history. Notice verse 9. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I shall give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now Haggai in verses 6, 7, and 9 reminds the people of what Zechariah was also preaching in his day, of that great millennial temple where God's going to build it with all the resources of all the nations that are at His disposal. But he reminds them of this great prophetic event that's yet to happen because He is the God who's going to make it happen. You see, God had already demonstrated to these people that He is over the kings of the world. Here you've got Cyrus, this pagan king, who God puts it in his heart to let the people go, 
to go rebuild their temple to their God. And out of the national royal treasury, we're told in the book of Ezra, Cyrus himself paid for all the stone, all the wood that was necessary. In fact, we're told he gave 5,400 pieces of gold and silver to the people. Here was a pagan king who had absolutely no reason whatsoever to do this, except for the fact that God put it in his heart. The king's heart is like channels of of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. And so he says in verse 9, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. And in this place, I shall give peace. Our time is about God, but you write Zechariah 14, verses 9 through 21 in your margin. You go home and read it. It's prophetic of the time when the Prince of Peace The Lord Jesus will come to that real place on earth. And Haggai is reminding his people that our God is the God of history. He's over the political realm. He's the one who commands the nations of the world. Sometimes we get the idea that God really doesn't know what's going on. That things have gone haywire in the political realm and and God must be walking around here, but what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Listen. There's no panic in heaven, only plans. The UN may have to call an emergency session together, but the Holy Trinity never does. Our God is sovereign. He is control. He is the one who is writing history. Let me read to you Psalm 2. You might want to turn there. Psalm 2. It's a beautiful psalm that speaks not only of the anointed one in David's day, but as we read it from the New Testament, We're told that this speaks of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most quoted Psalms in the New Testament. Psalm 2. Why do the nations, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings, you could say the presidents of the earth take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. Notice verse 12. Do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Haggai wants us to know that our God is in control. Listen. The politicians may go haywire. We may lose an election. We may lose our lives. But our God is sovereign. And it's time that we stop gazing at our, our, at our problems, but we gaze at our God. We need to focus on who He is in the midst of these problems, in the midst of this discouragement. The prophet tells the people that our God controls the physical universe. He is the Lord of the heavens. He is a great God. He controls the wealth of all the nations. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is a great God. He tells them that He is the Lord of the political world. He controls the nations of the world. He is the Lord of history. He is a great God. How big is our God? He's big enough to rule this entire universe, but small enough to live in your heart and to care for you. That's our God. And that's the perspective that we need to have in the midst of discarding. 
There is nothing that God cannot accomplish. God is a loving God, but He seeks the obedience of His creation, and He warns of the consequences of not being in His will. For a copy of today's message, call Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and request program HAG2, The Problem of Discouragement. You can also find it online at our website, searchthescriptures.org, or use your iTunes Store or Android Marketplace to download the Search the Scriptures app and listen to all of Dr. Brogy's messages. Tomorrow we'll begin a look at Haggai's third message dealing with relationships. Join us then when we search the Scriptures.